We're rolling now. I'm counting us down. Great. Three. Two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I am Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. Thanks for joining us <laughs> once again. Um, if this is your first time listening, uh, make sure to subscribe so you get this in our feed every week, every Tuesday morning. Um, and if you want to know what the newest taps on Missing Out, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S. T. Uh, if this is your first time listening, uh, the premise of this show. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of. I feel like you just started to explain what the show was and then told them about the Twitter. Um, no. <laughs> You're like, if you want to know uh, what we do here, uh, you can find us in your feed and then no. on your Twitter. No. It so was look like, there. I was like, I was like, if this is your first time, make sure to subscribe and then go on Twitter. And if you haven't heard us before, here's what we do. This is what we do. This is a breakdown. Breakdown. Yo, yo. Lex Michael grew up a certain way, and Tari grew up a different way. And then they come together and here to say, you're missing out on all this. Hey. That's the premise of the show. I disavow every bit of what just happened. <laughs> no, that's how. That's... Please only at Tari. <laughs> With yeah. your vitriol. Please at me about how exciting you are about my sweet, sweet rap. Um, and speaking of rap. I get. I see what you did, though. That's thank very, you. It's very good. Yeah. I'm a profesh, brah. You literally, you letting no sausage here. No one can see the sausage. That's not the same. That's not, that's not, that's something else. That's something entirely <laughs> different. Um. So today we we are talking about All Eyes on Me, the 1996 album by Tupac Shakur. Uh, it is his last album before his murder in the same year, 1996. Um, this was after he was fresh out of jail. Um, and I, I thought the story was interesting about like the brief story about how this deal was made uh, with oh, Death yeah. Row Records. Do we talk about this? Because um, obviously, yeah. he's a very, very iconic personage, that Tupac Shakur, and a really interesting life, though it was a brief one. But uh, this deal came about because I believe at the time he was in prison for sexual assault, I believe is the story. Yes. So I guess he had been uh, charged a couple times uh, for it. And by charged, I mean accused. He went to court and he... Like he denied the claims, um, but was ultimately sentenced for uh, a, a uh, like a, I guess both uh, an access of legal fees in addition to his own like them finding him guilty on three accounts of uh, sexual misconduct, uh, but like not guilty on six accounts, including a bunch of other stuff. Um, so like it was only a partial. Uh, it was only a partial guilty verdict. Okay. And so he had a certain amount of time that he had to spend in jail. And then Suge Knight bailed him out for $1.4 million under the uh, agreement that he would make three albums for Death Row Records. Right. And uh, this album being a, a double album. Yeah. I, also, I believe the second ever double 
hip hop album produced for mass consumption? Um, I believe so. I though, forget what the first one was off the top of my head. Yeah, because I know that if you ask Tupac, he said it was the first one, but he said it was the first one for hip hop. So the other one might not be a hip hop album. Okay. Mm, we should look this up. We should look this up. Look it up and uh, tell us. Uh, oh. Yeah. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually real quick pull this up so we can confirm this. But okay. Uh, but so yeah. So Suge Knight uh, pays his bail, and yeah, so he makes that deal with him. So first of all. If Suge Knight offered to pay my bail, I would stay in prison. I do not <laughs> want to be in hock to Suge Knight for anything. At any point, Suge Knight is terrifying. Well, yes, but I think that at this point, it wasn't as well known that Suge Knight is or was Satan? a big, giant, <laughs> evil is puppet the master. Devil? I, yo, I've um, seen straight out of Compton. He is literally Satan incarnate. Yes, um, but at, this, at the time, he was... Basically, it's just a documentary, this guy. right? Straight out of Compton. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're. Yes. <laughs> um, but like, yeah. Well, at the time, he was just a dude who was pulling people off the street who had talent and essentially bringing them onto this record, uh, this uh, record company. And so, at at the time, he was seen as a really big help to people. Sidebar: the first double full length hip hop uh, studio album released for mass consumption. First one was a French hip hop outfit called I Am's 1993 album Ombre Est Lumiere. Ah, they don't count. So, but America take it, but, only. Boom. Well, and the thing is, as far as most American media consumers were concerned, Tupac was the first one. The first one that they knew about. Certainly, I like your. What are you I'm, stomping the yard over there? Nah, I mean I'm doing like a half dab, and I'm got it. I got it real strong. It's a real half dab. Mm, it's like an ab. Anyways, so wait, um, if that's a half dab. Can you demonstrate a full dab real quick? Oh, I can. Boom. I it's see. A, it's a face motion. Okay. It's a whole thing. Okay. Um, and only for $10 more. Yes, it's true. I'll expect that in my Vimo later. But only if you make three albums for me. <laughs> um, but so because this was a double album, right? Apparently this satisfied two thirds of that deal. Um, yes. Because he came out with, um, ooh. Oh, um, he came out with one before All Eyes Out on Me, and then he had recorded another one under the uh, moniker of Machiavelli that released after his death in November of uh, 1996. Right. Okay, so the one before that was Me Against the World in 95, yes. and then uh, the Don Caluminati, The Seven Day Theory, I think was the Machiavelli album. Yes, that is correct. Hell yeah, I know some Tupac stuff. Damn. This is stuff I actually, so yeah, I, I did, full disclosure, I'm going to let him see the sausage. I had some information pulled up in front of me because I just had to look up that business about I am, but this is actually stuff that I did know about Tupac. I know. Okay. So, so I guess let's talk about the album and I want to talk to you about what, what this album means to you. I assume it has some personal significance, hence uh, you're suggesting it. My, what am I saying? So, so yeah, I have, I have a, what is your experience with like Tupac and, and his, stuff yeah yeah, yeah. so I mean, look Tupac is is Tupac I feel like you, you almost don't have to like Tupac's music basically recommends itself um it's it's so much the bedrock of so much of what exists in uh hip-hop now and I'm not I'm far from a I don't really know what the fuck I'm talking about when it comes to hip-hop I'm not gonna pretend that I do I gotta like actually collect my thoughts on this because yeah. I haven't I haven't thought about it in a long time yeah, like my my hip hop knowledge is is largely uh, limited to what other people have recommended to me and what I've been able to find by following threads off of those different groups, yeah, um, or individual artists. 
I actually found, not found, I found Biggie and Tupac at about the same time, but I got into Biggie first. Are uh, you an East Coaster? Well, I'm from the East Coast originally, right. so I, I imagine that has something to do with it. Yeah. It actually took me, like, I always appreciated Tupac's sound, but it was so, like, like, even when it bumps, there's such a mellowness to all of it. There's such, like, a cool laid-backness to all of it. Yeah. And I think for a long time, it just, it, it was, like, it's so chill. And I was such a, like, when I was younger, I was so just, like, anxious and, like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, neurotic. Like, can, ima- imagine. Can you, ima- can you picture can't. that? Can you picture me as, like, a little uh, neurotic uh, person point being was so was so just cool and laid back i i found it hard to find my way in yeah in a sense because i was so not uh cool or laid back uh whereas biggie biggie was like way more he just seemed more intense like more like upfront intense that's interesting because i view them the opposite way and i feel like biggie was very um like he was really smooth like you listen to stuff like Big Papa and things like that, where he's just like, um, what's your name? What's your sign? As soon as you, you know, like where he's hitting on people. Whereas like Tupac, I feel was, had a certain amount of like aggressiveness to him. And he had a certain amount of like, he had a lot to say, but he also had a way of really like being in your face. Like if, if you want to equate them to, uh, artists right now, I would say that like Tupac to me feels like old Kanye not like current Kanye but like old Kanye like Jesus walks Kanye whereas like Biggie feels very much like a like how Jay-Z feels where he's he's kind of just like everything's great I'm I'm you know chilling out with my money I'm doing stuff Hove um (laughs) that's Jay-Z but like those two energies I feel um when I listen to those two people and and that all tracks for me and i figured all of that out eventually it just took me a long time right because for me like my, what i first responded to was very superficial like that initial perception on my part when i was younger had nothing really to do with who these men truly were and not even all that much to do with the content of their music it had so much more to do with just like even things as superficial as like, all right, well, on his album covers, Tupac just looks, he's a dude hanging out. And Biggie's like wearing the trench coat and a hat. And mm-hmm. he looks like he just murdered seven people, stopped and got drive through and is about to murder you and six more people. <laughs> and of course, like it was, you know, obviously it's all, it's pageantry to a certain extent. Right. And when I was younger, I was aware of that, but that's what I first responded to. And then most of the initial Biggie songs that I heard like you're you're talking about like the the smoothness uh, in his persona, and I was familiar with like obviously you know the the you know like juicy and hypnotized like the ones that everybody knows even if they don't know them they know them right. Um, but the stuff like um, oh God, I'm like struggling to remember uh, what is it warning the one where he's basically just narrating this whole story about people like trying to come to his house and steal his money and how he kills them. <laughs> I don't even remember that one. Hang on. It's on, uh, <laughs> crap. No, I got I mean, that sounds very inconvenient. Uh, so I get it. I would write a song about it. Yeah. So no, but that's, but that's why is because like, like warning is essentially a song about, uh, like Biggie, Biggie wakes up and he gets a call from his friend and he's like, yo, some guys that you knew from back in the day are, are coming at you now. They're going to kill you and they're going to rob you. And he's like, 
no. <laughs> he basically he just turns and he kills the shit out of them, and it ends like the the song ends with like uh um like you hear the two guys like coming up to the house and being like creeping 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 and then being like oh shit as biggie descends upon them and presumably right. murders them uh this heavily informed my initial perception Got of it. biggie for okay. example um i i get that um i so um i i feel like i had less i guess i'm from the west coast so i was very much a tupac guy so i for a long time, just saw Biggie as the enemy. Um, right. This And this was a thing, too, that I was always aware of if you had any uh, inclination towards pop culture in the mid-90s. You were aware of, like, the East Coast, West Coast feud. Yeah. But I had so little to do with that world, and it wasn't until later that I really started paying close attention to hip-hop at all. Yeah. So it always... Even now, it's like you might as well be talking to me about like like Game of Thrones fights. It's just, it just seems so far. And again, like this was mid nineties. This was this was a second ago for all intents and purposes. Yeah, which is another thing that's odd for me to consider. It's like this just happened, but it's, I can't imagine a time where Tupac, where this album specifically, where it didn't exist, and yet I I existed for a little bit before this thing did. Yeah, but it feels so mythic and so removed from the world that I was a part of certainly while all of that was go was going on in in the context that we're referring to. Yeah. And I think that like you you bring up um like a Game of Thrones and I think that like in in my world it was it was like the the hot thing to talk about. It was the if if there was a keeping up with, with the Kardashians back then, it would have been this rivalry. So there are all these like beef songs and um, like hot shots that people are taking in their albums just to kind of like, I think there's one, uh, I want to say it is in um, Heart of Men or Hearts of Men uh, where he he takes a Biggie lyric and like flips it just to kind of be a fuck you to, right. to Biggie. Um, so that kind of thing was like really popular, especially like when I was would be on the bus as a kid, and everyone would be like, "Oh, you heard this track? Like, uh, he, this is at this part he's talking about him, and this is this reference to that." Um, so like for me, that that was like the like you you see you know that eating popcorn gif that yes. everyone uses. It was that of like of uh, Michael Jackson, yes, from the Thriller video, yeah, yeah, right. That yeah, or yeah. like or like the angry citizen cane clap. Um but yeah, and at that time, right, there was there there had been less of this. So it it all felt a lot more novel, I would assume, as it was happening. Yeah. Whereas now, like it's just you just expect it. Like if a rapper gets famous, you expect that he's going to whether whether genuine or manufactured, that he's gonna have beef with somebody because it gets people talking, it drives up sales of singles, if not albums. Yeah. But it's crazy because, like, back then, it was, like, a real thing. Like, when in, I think it was 93, um, when, it was either 93 or 95, when Tupac got shot in the hotel, and it was assumed that it was set up by um, Puffy and a few other people on Biggie's, uh, on Bad Boy Entertainment's uh, record whatever on their roster that's was the this one uh, was this one biggie did who shot you hmm was this one biggie did who shot you was after that maybe was after that shooting yeah i think right because was, was this the one 
there was some move. Maybe it was the the notorious, the Biggie biopic. Sidebar: Most of what I know about like this hip hop <laughs> mythology of the uh, early to mid '90s, I know from biopics, which uh, have a habit of uh, warping the truth. Right. Uh, but I believe right now, again, this I mean, movie for dramatic effect could very well have condensed like two events that happened years apart, or I could be wildly misremembering the movie. But I think <laughs> that's that's what happened, and everybody was like, "Oh, Biggie, you're crazy! Why are you doing this? This track is great, <laughs> though, but why? Why did they all sounded like that? Right? Exactly. Yeah. No, like I've that. seen the biopic. Yeah, I got yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was like I was having flashbacks to to watching it as you're doing it. Um. So, yeah, I believe it was around that time. But, yeah, so um, it was back when he was shot five times. It was, um, yeah, so it was back when he was shot five times. And so, like, um, back in the day, beefs were actual, like, life-threatening things. Whereas, like, you have a beef between, like, I don't know, Drake and some like dude. Meek Mill. Yeah. By the way, no disrespect to Meek Mill. I only know who Meek Mill is because he beefs with Drake sometimes. <laughs> well, that's I'm sure that some marketing dude was like, yo, this was real hot. And if as long as you guys make beef tracks, yo, um, you keep saying beef tracks. And yes. I know I know exactly what you mean when you say that. I normally hear them referred to now as diss tracks. Beef tracks just sounds inherently silly to me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they because you got beef son it's, it's jay-z's pepperoni song no um that's all like and yes by the way by the way i am aware that pepperoni is not beef it is pepperoni so before you at me about this just just know that i i know already and technically pepperoni is pork so i mean he's even wrong about that don't don't add him though don't add him. It's okay. But I just, I he just, just copped to my, to, it's okay. to knowing this. Don't even know. Don't even add him. Just, just why let did you, him. Why did you just dig a hole him. under the hole I was already in? <laughs> I wanted that tunnel to cave in. Um, I'm an agent of chaos. Um, speaking of agents of chaos, um, Tupac was really known for his uh, thug lifestyle, which I believe that was initiated, or at least that aesthetic was very much kicked off with this album um was this was this like is this widely considered to be the the nexus point of that entire culture yes because before this he was his albums were a lot more personal and political and so when he got out of jail he um he decided that he really wanted this album to be something different he really wanted it to be a celebration of life and so all uh, most of the tracks on here are very much like uh, being awesome celebration songs. Um, he yes. threw in a couple of them that are like sad stories. Like you get things um, like Ain't Mad At Ya, which is like about kind of catching up with uh, old people and them growing apart and things of that sort. Um, you have Show Didn't Want to Be a Thug, which was is basically like this heartbreaking uh, cautionary tale where um, there was a young, it was specifically about this young guy. Uh, I believe his name was Robert yummy Stanford or Sanford. Um, and he was essentially uh, recruited by this gang to, uh, to kill a bunch of people. And then in order to keep him quiet about killing those people, the gang killed him too. Um, which is a super bummer. Um, cause like I, it, it kind of reminded it when I was listening to it this week, 
Um, it reminded me of our talk last week about um, the counselor. Um, That's the one. Yep. You, the you, were, you were there. Um where it's like getting into this world that you don't really understand. Right. And so like that song is from the perspective of someone who's older coming back into that world and, and seeing how like detrimental it is. Right. So he has like tracks like that, um, which are really, um, which kind of have the old Tupac depth to it. But like a lot of them are more like either sex jams or I'm awesome jams. Well, this was after he was pretty well established, right? Right. Like it, it makes sense that a lot of now the lived experience, the immediate lived experience he would be drawing from is uh, something a lot more akin to a traditional celebrity lifestyle than what he was drawing from previously. Right. Which always happens. That's why like every band's second album or like the, the adage goes like every band's second album is always much worse than their first album because you always uh, you have years and years sometimes to develop the stuff that goes on to your first album and your entire your entire lived experience informs it. That album hits you're touring. You got to turn around and write and record a new album pretty soon. What are you pulling from except like being on a bus and touring and right. sex jams? All them sex jams, bro. All of the sex that's jams. Like, that's what I wrote in my notes a lot, where I was like, sex song, sex jam, love song. There's a lot, and there's a lot of references on this album to uh, being dripping wet. Yes. And it is phrased, exa- it's, it's that exact phrasing. There's, there's no... They, there's no euphemism. Right. It's just literally dripping wet. Yeah. No, there's, there's, I believe it is Thug Passion, where it starts, where he's like, yo... You, you mix some Alizé and something else, and it, it gets some real wet and gets your dick hard. And you're like, damn, Tupac, right. I, 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 I got to mix it up. We just were lifting the veil right away. Um, yes, uh, which I, as an adult, uh, realize that I, I, I'm, I am uncomfortable <laughs> listening to. Whereas like when I was a kid, I was like, this is what love is. <laughs> Um, like the song, like the one with Casey and Jojo, how do you want it? That was like my jam. That was my, I want to, I really, I want to go back and I want you to tell me about you discovering this album and like what, yeah, like what these different tracks did for you back in the day. Because I feel like yeah, all of us, even if some of us struggle to remember what specifically it is, we all had an album, sometimes a couple albums that we just tried to apply as a soundtrack to our lives. And it just like. I don't know if this is one of those for you, but you just start, you internalize it and mm-hmm. the sound almost becomes part of your, your DNA, your internal chemistry. Yeah. Right. So is that, is this album that for you, one of those for you? And whether the answer is yes or not, get, break this down, break down your discovery process and break down like how you apply these tracks to scenes and moments in your existence. <laughs> um. Well, so Tupac for me was kind of like a constant, like there was... Almost like I would say that Tupac's uh, albums, plural, were almost the only things that we would really listen to. Like most of my music when I was a kid came through my sisters because I wasn't really buying albums myself. Um, And my sisters were really obsessed with Tupac as well, uh, both because he was a handsome dude. um, Sure. And like he was he was really great at what he did. Yeah. Um, And so everyone on my block was a, a super big fan. Um, and so we all wanted to be Tupac, especially like once he started acting and once he started doing a bunch of other stuff, like he was our idol. Um, so he was a lot of what we would talk about on the bus. Um, and then uh, 
there was that one song, uh, Dear Mama, that um, like I think was really uh, like my song. I grew up in a single parent household. Um, we had a lot of issues. And so like I had a certain connection with my mom. Um, and so that was like my, oh my gosh, Tupac's my dude. Um, and so then later this album came out and, and I don't think I really appreciated it when it first came out. Cause it was, a, it was such a departure from like what I felt, uh, really resonated with me. So like the stuff that I was talking about, like the other songs that I was referring to on this one, like, um, like the, I ain't mad at you, stuff like that. That kind of thing really resonated me, with me because I was just a, a dumb kid on the streets trying to like, you know, fit in with all the other kids. And I was never, I've never been the quote unquote blackest. Um, and I use that in that, like where in my neighborhood, I grew up in East Menlo Park. Um, there was this idea of, you know, you being really black and like having to act a certain way in order to show how black you are. Um, and I was never, I was never really that, but like, through Tupac's music, I could essentially find my way into these, um, into these friendships where people we had these this mutual uh, thing that we liked. So no matter what else I enjoyed, whether it was um, like uh, dumb cartoons that they never watched or uh, rock music that I was listening to and no one else was, like I could always find a way to talk about something as long as Tupac existed. Right. Um, and so. Um, this, but this album was a lot different. Like it, it was definitely more about this like celebration of life and, and, and all, and, and just kind of like having a lot of fun, which like entailed things that I didn't do. I, there was never a point where I was drinking Alizé or having sex. Like I was fucking, I was nine. Um, (laughs) so I didn't relate to it as much, but then, um, the moment came when he died Um, and I remember being at, um, it was 1996 was the year I moved to the Hayward suburbs. So we had essentially left our, um, like our kind of ghetto area and moved to like a more, uh, a safer area. There's a cul-de-sac and all that stuff. Mm. Um, and so I remember that we had recently moved there and then we, the, the like news story came out about Tupac's death and my sisters were crying and um, I was super bummed out. And so like I, we, we started listening to this album just to kind of like get back and, and and not to say like honor him, but like, you know, like it, it made me want to take another listen. Yeah. And I, I, and then like, I, I kind of felt the irony of, of him creating his last album um, outside of all the Machiavelli stuff. Um, his last album being about celebrating life uh, just before he died. Um, and so like that really kind of gave it a new layer. And so then at that point, it just kind of became something that I I sat down and listened to and thought about how like in a lot of these in a, in a lot of these scenarios that like they talk about and when you listen to like gangster rap and thug music, like at any point, if I would have stayed where I was, it could have been me, mm-hmm. you know? And so like that I think is why uh, this specific album uh, resonated with me. And also why like when I hear it now, it just kind of takes me back to that place. Yeah. 
so yeah all right <laughs> all right um it's interesting too and it's it's something that i think i mean there are obviously a lot of a lot of um white hip-hop fans that that are very much into this music with absolutely no form of connection to the experiences that the music describes like no like i don't know that i don't know that i have that you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't know that I have um, al- even albums that I really love that feel so specific to a time, a place of feeling uh, like the, ha- and having an artist that is that specifically personal to me. Like, I've been really bummed out when we've lost a lot of people. But like, well, maybe I guess like Bowie, but when Bowie died, I was super upset. Yeah. But this is like so I'm like deviating from from my point it's interesting to hear you talk about it because it's like I can listen to this album and I think this I mean look again like I don't it's it's Tupac's all eyes on me I don't have to tell anybody like it's an important it's an important album beyond just being a great one it is an important album um but I can't listen to it and experience the range of things that say you can Mm -hmm. um I don't have you know, like I like I was talking about before, I don't really have any specific personal ties to any part of the world that he describes, the world that he came from. Yeah. It is so fascinating to me to consider, not just as applies to this album, but as applies to art in general. And I think this is part of why you and I have these conversations is to explore the notion of how we'll come at a piece of art and we mo- we both might agree on what the individual pieces are and we both might agree that it's it's great or maybe it doesn't do a whole lot for us or whatever. Yeah. But like you have an experience with this album that I could not possibly have. You know, and like yeah. I find that, I find that endlessly compelling. Mm-hmm. And there are people who who you know like uh have that are that are how do I phrase this? <laughs> You know, okay, some of the some of the people that you were talking about in your story that that knocked you for as as you put it not being black enough. Right. Some people that were uh, traveled in in that the fuck. I'm trying to think of like real it's tough to fuck it's tough to phrase. Um Okay, so like even even some of the people that you were describing who knocked you for uh, as you put it not being black enough a lot of their experiences might color the way that they approach this album in a way that is uh, again like a complete diversion from yours as well which i suppose if we're connecting all these dots makes their perspective even further removed from my own which again like yeah but like that's the point and and also the fact that you have not having experienced it and you can kind of see it see the world at least from my perspective even in just this hour that we talk about it is I think probably the most uh, pure form of empathy that we can have. I find it a very difficult, as you're seeing, I find it a very difficult thing to articulate without sounding like an idiot. But (laughs) I think you know more or less where I'm coming from. I hope people that are listening know more or less where I'm coming from because I sound like a massive tool. (laughs) No, Um, I mean, I, I I get it because you're, you're, experience with this album as you said like you you weren't a big hip-hop guy like there which again i've i've come around yeah it doesn't yeah it doesn't even matter even if you hadn't but for the record let it be known that i've i've since very much come around (laughs) um so like i wouldn't expect your experience to be the same as mine and i wouldn't expect you to like have the same emotional ties to it that i would and that like even as you were saying the people that 
um, that I grew up with that have their own perspective. Like when they're listening to it, they're like, yes, the thug life is the life for me. And I'm like, the thug life has consequences. (laughs) And so like, even me and those people have a, a different experience, even though our life experience up until a certain point was exactly the same. So, I mean, and I think that that is essentially the great thing about albums like this that have so many different facets to it. Like he made 20, he made 28 songs, 27 um, made the album. One more just didn't. So it's a bonus album in the UK version, but like he made 28 songs fresh out of prison. um, Just talking about his, how he wanted to live life outside of prison. Like going to prison is hard. I'm not going to hear. Yeah, it's hard and it's shitty. And like, it makes you really reconsider what you, what you find precious in life. Yeah. You know? And so like, I get that upon leaving, he'd want to be like, all right, I'm going to make this album. And I, I'm sure that he sat down after like, after sleeping in his own bed and was like, what is it that I love? What is it that like makes me, feel like i'm my best self and he settled on sex jams yeah sex jams um <laughs> alizé um a little bit of misogyny but it's okay um, well oh yeah i mean but okay th- to an extent that's baked into i mean not just hip-hop culture but that's baked into the culture at large yes even even now a little bit unfortunately we seem now to finally be like scraping some of that off right um but what was i'm blanking but on. yeah and so even if uh like, even if it doesn't age um, the best in terms of, like, subject matter, um, I think that, like, there is a certain amount of, there's a certain amount of, I guess, passion and, and thoughtfulness that you can really see inside of it. And, and you, you get a real big sense of who he was at that moment. Yes. And I think that that is, that also is one of the really big uh takeaways from this album is is you realize that he had so much to say and like even just having all these posthumous albums come out that he essentially like he he recorded before he had died even though some people say that Tupac is still alive it's bullshit um it's but, it's definitely unlikely but like you you realize just how much he had to say yeah and 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 the only way that he could get it out was to to make these songs and to like try to fit it in as much as possible. Like there's this moment in Hamilton where um where they're talking about how Hamilton he just he kept writing like he was running out of time. And I feel like that prolificness that Hamilton had also is in Tupac in that like he just had to create up until the moment that he died. He just had to keep creating and keep like trying to push his message and, and trying to be heard. Um, uh, it's almost as if he knew that he was going to live a short life. It's almost as if he knew that he was going to be taken so early. And so he just had to make sure that everything that he could say was, was said, was said and out there in the world. Yeah, and it's it is it is doubly impactful to consider that this was the final album before his passing. Like as you say, because it is such a 
it is such a celebration of life. Yes, you mentioned that there are a couple of elements that, you know, some of the misogyny, obviously, that hasn't necessarily aged all that well. But, you know, I made the 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 comment jokingly about sex jams but like yeah it it that it's not there's no that's good that's positive stuff it's very <laughs> but it is it's so it is so much like a it's a celebration of not not necessarily the thug life specifically although yes that that is there yeah. but but of life itself and he's so he's a very perceptive and sensitive guy and obviously if you are a tupac fan you don't need to be told that you've known that for some time but i i how to articulate best, I suppose, to people that are, and a lot of them are, are a little bit older, but are completely averse to the idea of hip hop as, as music, even like yeah. some, even today, some people still just can't seem to get their heads around it for whatever reason. But it's like to, to try and relate to them. Maybe you just, maybe the way you trick them is you <laughs> omit every bit of profanity yeah. and some of the more pointed misogynistic uh, uh, statements and remarks, and you just present the verses to them as poetry. Right. And you let them receive the message with about scary, scary music, the drums and the beats and all of this. It's trying to explain to them like what a sample is. I was like, what would what would somebody who doesn't know what sampling is call sampling? And then I they'd fell down. Like, and I just, That's plagiarism. Yeah, they'd Look be like you plagiarizing. Just like that. Yeah. Um, and just put it in front of them and hope that they absorb the message they get past all of their uh surface level aesthetic hang-ups and they absorb the message because a lot a lot of these uh, our most iconic hip-hop figures became so iconic because of how resonant their messaging was mm -hmm. it's it's only about you know guns and women and and partying and and the glorification of of violence on the surface, and I'm not saying that no artist ever uh, has actually endorsed such things, because of right. course that does exist. But it's about so much more than that under the surface. A lot of that, like I alluded to, like with Biggie on the album covers, yeah. a lot of it feels a little bit like pageantry and posturing, which is not that gets tricky because that almost sounds like I'm taking a shot at their authenticity, which is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that stuff that seems to stop most people from embracing hip hop. That's surface. That's all surface. And under that, there is so much, there is so much beauty and, and life affirming stuff. And it's all, all in the face of great adversity. Yeah. There is so much to be gained from exploring that. And it's like, how do I need to figure this out? I need to like do some research. I need to like, maybe like jump onto some Facebook groups for like old, like people in their fifties and sixties, like white people in their fifties and sixties, especially. Yeah. And just see what I can learn. I'll do like, I'll do like Russian info ops oh, and I'll damn. go in and I'll just study them uh -huh. and I'll do the thing that, that Russians do. And I'll, I'll create two bot accounts uh, with old people avatars. Yeah. And I'll have them get into a fight with each other about like, we'll use this Tupac album. We'll use All Eyes on Me. And one of them being like, oh, yeah. this is just noise and garbage is terrible. And it's, they, they ruined music and it never came back, whatever. And then I'm going to have another old person come in and be like, well, you know, I thought the same thing and I gave this a shot. And I'm, I'm not positive it's for me, but I, I don't know. I think I'm being won over here. And I'm going to have the two of them debate it out like, like the Russian bots do. Yeah. And then create the illusion that one side was won over by the other side. Ooh. And then all of the 50 plus year old white people are going to be Tupac fans. Nice. Um, don't you think that will hurt the fact that we are Russian robots and we don't actually exist? <sighs> 
But you know what? If you think about it, a bot can be just as real as you or I. That's true. I mean, what even is existence? Let's talk about that for a moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, and I'm sorry, I know I keep I keep taking us down rabbit holes as is my want. Um, no, but that that like and that more more than one. All right, this is a big album. This album is a double album and it runs uh, over two hours. Yeah, and because yes, I had heard. Uh, I'm actually not positive if I had ever heard this in its entirety, but I'd heard a lot of it yeah. in the past, uh, some of it multiple times, taking it all as one thing when you're not, cer- I'm certainly not as familiar with it as you. It's a lot to ingest in one sitting. You oh know yeah. I mean? So what I'm getting from it more than what I'm getting uh, from any individual track, what I'm getting from it as an entire piece is this, it's a sense of awe for yes, just how much is there and how high the quality is throughout because most albums, if if you notice, they're like 12 songs and they peter out after like five or six. <laughs> right. This is what, 27 tracks? Yep. It's, it's great throughout. Like this album never lags. There's never a lull. You're never waiting for a certain track to end so that you can get to the next track that you cross your fingers you hope is going to be better. The, all of that stuff, yeah. But I'm sitting in this feeling of uh, lightness Yeah. from it. And like, again, like... Depicting a world that I, I I am not a part of, and I don't know that I'd be all that welcome in. Um, I feel such such lightness of being, and such uh, w- this weird sense of beauty and optimism, mm-hmm. which is which is weird considering that yeah, shortly after this album's release, this man was was murdered. It's through a certain prism, I guess through a pessimistic prism, it it almost makes it a more tragic final note than it would have been otherwise. But right. I. Your your story about how after he died, you and your sisters went back to this album. I really, I really love that you went back to it. Or you correct me if I misinterpreted, but you went back to it as a way to celebrate. Yeah. Uh, to celebrate him, to celebrate his work, and to sit not in the sadness of his passing, but in all of this, this, these beautiful life affirming messages set to music that he left behind. Mm-hmm. That's the feeling that I'm sitting in. And I, if I had, you know, another month to sit with this album, I could probably, yeah, talk in greater detail about uh, how I feel about every individual track. But th- yeah, that. And I'm glad you shared that with me because that was the biggest thing. It's like, you know, I think uh, most people who are inclined to listen to Tupac have probably heard this album 70 times. Right. Or at least have more than a passing familiarity with it. So I was very curious about why given that this specifically was something that you wanted to talk about. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you brought this in. Cause that's, that's cool. And that makes me feel good. Cause that's what art is supposed to do. It's supposed to now, not all art is supposed to make you feel like warm fuzzies. Some right. art is intended to jar you and, and make you feel a little unpleasant sometimes in a safe controlled way, hopefully. Um, but, but I think at its best art, Art is, this sounds super hokey, but this is the, right off the top of my head, the way I thought to phrase this was art is like, it's like a beacon in darkness. Yeah. And I love that this immediately precedes his death and you were able to find solace in his, his, what turned out to be uh, his final message, his final completed work in life. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And that, yeah, that makes me feel good about art. Art's good, you guys. It is. Art is a good thing <laughs> <laughs> what is what is 
art. His art, his art good? It's pretty good. Is it's there... pretty great. Yeah, and, but like I said, like I, I feel woefully ill-equipped to talk in much detail about hip-hop. I can just, I can go like, yes, I'm a fan of this. Here's yeah. why I'm a fan of this. Oh my God, that line was brilliant. Oh my God, this beat is dope. That's that's about my level of expertise. Um, right. So if you're listening and you're like, this guy's a fucking yutz, I apologize Listen to the counselor one from last week. I, I'm way better equipped to have that conversation. I well, here's the thing though, is I feel like it is it's a it's a shitty thing to to have to feel like you need to be an expert in a topic in order to to talk about it. Like I think that you can enjoy a thing without really like diving into the the guts of it. You know? Agreed, agreed in life. Uh, not on the internet, Tari J. On <laughs> the internet, no such thing is allowed. Well, f- uh, forget the internet. <laughs> the internet could eat a poop. Um, yeah, all of it. Just a single oh, singular But a whole poop. Because, um, like, In a I think that... <laughs> gross. Um, because I think it, it, it goes back to this idea that, like, you have to have a certain amount of credentials in order to be a part of a community um and you see it a lot in the comic comic book community you see it in the sports community in like in in ugly ways too like yes and this idea that you're a poser if you don't know like the super in-depth history you can like a thing without uh feeling like you have to do 60 years of research um this is an important thing to consider and this is probably a message that a couple people could could stand to hear yeah so like i don't and and so like hearing you be like well you know like i'm not the like i'm don't say, I'm, I'm hedging my bets is what I i'm know, doing I know. i'm just making sure like i i want everybody to know that i'm well aware of my <laughs> lack of authoritative expertise where this is concerned so if i say something and it sounds like i'm making a declarative statement and it's completely unfounded I'm only making sure that people know that I know, and I'm not going to die on any of these hills. (laughs) I know. And I, but like, I just wanted to take that moment to make that statement. I mean, generally speaking, it's, it's an important statement to make, especially because yeah, on the internet, people get real, real, real hostile when they don't perceive you as uh, living up to their standard of fandom. Right. And like, and I get that there is there's a very fine line between appreciation and appropriation. Like I, I get it. I get that like there's a certain point at which you're like, I'm part of the hip hop community. I'm gonna take all the things that I like about it and claim that that's I, I promise like, no matter how big a fan I ever, ever become, I will never consider myself part of the hip hop community. <laughs> I don't I don't foresee I don't foresee that happening. I don't foresee me getting past the bouncer at that particular club. <laughs> I mean, but if you if you listen to hip hop and you know other people who listen to hip hop, if you've ever talked about it, you're part of the hip hop community. I mean, that isn't to say that like you are going to be a rapper or that, or that like you have a full uh understanding of like the the history of where it comes from and and at a certain point, yes, maybe you might want to do a little bit of research. Not you specifically, but like. Oh no, you, no, no! I'm like, just, I'm just real happy you. I made the decision at a certain point to just start devil's advocating you because this is actually good. <laughs> no, this is good, and like I think this is a good conversation. Like I'm not actually concerned. I mean, look, 
I don't I don't think new people are going to think I'm an asshole after this episode. <laughs> I think most people have already made up their minds. Um, but I think it's important that this conversation is had too because the way yeah, the way the way people get shitty about people liking things and not being an encyclopedic uh well yeah on those things is unnecessary and isn't the point to like stuff yes even if even if this person over here doesn't like the thing in the exact way that you do isn't one more person liking the thing still better like the more people that like the thing you like the more of that thing there will probably be right um and so like i think that if i were to put my thoughts about hip-hop into a into a small ball, um, that ball would have the following written on it. Um, that as a non-professional person, a uh, critiquer of hip-hop, I think that as long as you can appreciate the idea that it is, it is basically a modern-day form of storytelling. It is a way that people are able to convey how they feel about the world around them. And even the surface stuff. Even the stuff that's just about being cool with women and having a lot of, like, jewels and drinks and blah, blah, blah. In in and of itself, if you really listen to it, it's a celebration of someone going from nothing to having everything that they dreamed of as a young person. And so, like, I, I know that there's a lot of commercial hip-hop that, like, people get really down on. And, and some of it, yes, I agree, is noise and bullshit because like that is what a lot of record companies believe sell but like if you find really deep hip-hop artists to be fair noise and bullshit does seem to be pretty popular um yes i mean yes because if you can make something that's an earworm or you can make something that uh that a group of people think is like find appealing if it sells then like yeah you can you can make you can you can sell any noise and bullshit right and, but there's no humanity and like you can hear plenty of songs that you hear on the radio are super catchy you'll you hum them for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and you see them in movie trailers and whatnot but there's no real humanity there right it feels like a computer could have written this song in many cases because a computer practically wrote the song right. there are a number of big producers that are fairly open about how they basically use algorithms to write their music yeah there's not humanity there there is humanity all over every little bit of this album for example yeah and so like i think that even if there's something that you don't like in terms of hip-hop if there's something that you don't feel like you have a way into i i I think that you should just sit give it a listen maybe two i never find anything appealing on the first listen um that is a fact i've interesting yeah i've like across any genre across any genre interesting i have I on first listen, there's nothing that I've ever been like this. I like it. Usually, it's on like the second or third, in which I like start to find the little minutia, and it starts to kind of resonate with me. Um, or like I'll hear it, and then maybe a couple days later, it'll be stuck in my head, and then I'll revisit it, and that is when it starts to kind of, uh, kind of like sink into my being. And I think that that's because like. With a lot of art, I think that it requires more than just just a, a I guess a cursory glance. I think it requires that it really like your body processes it, and your mind has a little bit of time to really kind of 
figure out where it fits into you. And not everything is for you. Right. Not everything is going to resonate in that way, but like give it a chance to. That's like literally all I ask. Right, which is uh, unfortunately it seems like another message that more and more <laughs> people could stand to hear. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to get off my soapbox. No, that's, but this is this is great box. because I feel like I feel like you have a lot more to say. Certainly in this moment, uh in those regards than I do. So no, I'm glad you're saying it. <laughs> um, is that a question? Yeah. yeah, it was a question. And the answer is yes. Ooh, I always like the word. Yes. Um, especially in my sex songs, in- enthusiastic in sweet- consent. Hell yeah. Um, I think we're, we're drawing close to an end. So is there anything that you wanted to cover before we headed out? Uh, my big, Thing in this moment is I would actually really like to somewhere down the road come back to this album or at the very least come back to more Tupac because I want to hear you talk about it more <laughs> like that seriously that's my big thing is like and honestly like yes I'm a hip-hop fan and I want I like I I, I want to learn more about the world that informs the music especially because we talked about uh, up top like the deal he made with Suge Knight but there's this whole they've made multiple movies about the mythology of this world at that time yeah um there's so much there just as just as far as I want to know the stories I want to know like it it plays like this massive uh almost like a massive soap opera yeah which is why like Game of Thrones felt like an apt comparison mm-hmm. I want to learn more about all of it but more even than that I want to learn more about the way it affects people that aren't me (laughs) because I don't have I have uh like one friend basically that I can talk to about hip-hop and he knows so much more than I do yeah that it's uh, usually a pretty one-sided conversation and I'm not really sure what to say right um but he recommends stuff to me and I'm like this is good you just be like yeah Dim Beats is dope um just just Mm, like that yeah just like that I type it phonetically hell um but yeah, no more, more because I, I want to hear you talk about it more. And you know what I'd, I'd love too is I want to hear you talk more about Tupac since it seems like that was a, a very big deal in your house growing up. Yeah. I also, for that exact reason, want to hear you talk about Biggie some more because I want to know <laughs> what was it like growing up with the shadow of the notorious B.I.G. looming over your home, <laughs> uh, like a phantom from the opposite coast. Right. Um, every so often we just hear big papa 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 <laughs> and you like look all around it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like somebody just passed you just behind and you could almost feel them brush against you as they whisper it into your ear mm-hmm. but you turn and nobody's there yeah um and then we just be like Biggie is my enemy ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez uh, is that the end yep that's the end <laughs> great <laughs> So, thanks for joining us here on uh, Missing Out. Uh, once again, bro, make sure to follow us on Twitter. And, uh, that's Missing Outcast. M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-S-T. C-S-T. Yep, I spelled it right. Uh, let the record show I spelled it right. Um, but you can also find us on our personal Twitters. <laughs> it's all over the place. I can start over. All right. <laughs> no, leave this all in. <laughs> no. Show them the sausage. Don't, don't show them the sausage. Put the sausage away. <laughs> um, but yeah, Lex, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, I am all over social media at the Lex Michael. Don't at me about my ignorance. At me uh, with the uh, uh, sausage. No, <laughs> do not at me your sausage. Don't encourage this. People will do it. Fine. They're um, pepperoni. Don't do 
that's not better. Uh, don't at me about my my woeful ignorance where these subjects are concerned. At me uh, if you're so inclined with like a hip hop album that you really love and just like a line or two about what it means to you. That'd be cool. Point yeah. me in, point me in the right direction. I'm I'm lost. I'm a babe in the woods, and I need you to find me. I'm placing my trust in your hands. Don't hurt. Don't hurt me. I've been hurt before. They'll be gentle. Uh, and you can find me at Tari J. That's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. And if you want to at me, you can at me. Uh, what, what was your experience with this album? Like, what did you like it about? What did you like about it? Uh, did you have the same experience as me? Did you have the same experience as Lex? Tell me about your life. Hey, bro, hit me up. Um, Before also, his voice gets any higher. <laughs> Um, also, if you have a chance, go on uh, iTunes and leave us a comment uh, and a rating that really helps us get to the top of the charts, helps other people find us, and really helps this show grow and keep giving you more content that you love. Uh, we're also available on Google Play Store, Stitcher, and Podbean. Uh, so make sure to tune in every Tuesday because that's when we launch. Um, and thanks again for joining us. Bye. That beef tracks. Beef tracks. Beef tracks. Um, brought to you by Beef Tracks. Are we still going? Uh, yeah, we're still <laughs> we, should, we should plug beef, yep. beef tracks. Brought to you by Beef Tracks. From the people that brought you pudding balloons? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And almond milk. Um, gross. Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wikiship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is peer editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us. While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruthann. I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts.